The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is powered by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop. Join the Quarterly Fly Club today, your source for all things fly fishing. And wait for it films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, check out Wait For It Films on YouTube or at www.thewaitcreativeco.com. And Broken Tippet Fly Company. Blog and fishing apparel and accessories. Check them out online at brokentippet.com. You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Yeah, so um, it kind of goes both ways. Stream etiquette is, I think, those who are who are you know new to the sport. Maybe we could do a little bit better job of, of teaching stream etiquette. While while those of us who are seasoned uh, can be a little bit more forgiving. I think. Hmm, that is really well put. I like that. It's a two way street, right? Yeah. 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 The other thing, I guess, that, that worries me a little bit, at least from the fly tying point of view and, and a conservationist point of view, is I do worry about with as we build more flies with synthetic materials, mm-hmm. is if fishermen lose flies. And and to a degree, you know, I'll do river cleanups and things where, yeah, you know, I've, I've pulled some, you know, game changers off of logs when we're you know when we're doing floats you know that they're expensive fly to lose but also it is it is a plastic it doesn't biodegrade hmm yeah that's i never really thought about that (laughs) you're right it's a little little different when you're dealing with fur and feathers It, it actually does break down yeah the Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. The Fly Crate is an online fly shop where you can save more on flies and gear. Shop between hundreds of unique flies and join the quarterly fly club for hand-picked fly assortments for each season. Exclusively for our podcast listeners, you can save an additional 10% on The Fly Crate by using the code FLYFISH97. Go to theflycrate.com and use the code FLYFISH97 at checkout to save 10%. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you chose to join us wherever you happen to be listening. And we're going to do what we always do, touch base with passionate fly tires, fly fishers in the fly fishing space. And we've got, uh, well, a really passionate individual out of Traverse City, Michigan. We've got Corey Golden on the line, a.k.a. Streamside Scotch. Uh, He's into rivers, conservation, good friends, whiskey, and black coffee. What could go wrong with this? Um, Corey, (laughs) thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I've, I've been listening for a little bit and uh, really excited to uh, be on. So why don't, let's start at the beginning. So uh, just previous, you were telling me you've been in Traverse City for about 20 years. So let's go back a little more than that and find out where it all started for you. So where did you get the fly fishing bug originally? Yeah, so originally grew up in uh, Northwest Indiana, which is a, an interesting mix of agricultural to pretty quick industrial there when it comes to changes from farmland to steel mills but um growing up i got into fly fishing actually uh we fished a a farm pond across the street and uh one day i think my dad brought home a fly rod and started getting into fly fishing a little bit and i was about 10 and i I thought how could it be how hard could it be and uh, of course i took the fly rod across the pond and about being at 10 years old with a nine foot fly rod that's a little bit of a little bit of a stretch to be able to cast that and cast it into the wind and proceeded to get a fly caught right in my cheek 
Oh no. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so definitely hooked myself there. And, and I was kind of hooked after that. If, if you uh, pardon the pun. <laughs> I, I think we've all been there, you know, when a, a nasty wind kicks in or we just happen to just kind of drop a cast. But um, I always think, man, I, I sunglasses, think how many eyes sunglasses save when it comes to just starting and even not just starting, Absolutely. right? Yep. Yeah. So, okay, so let, let's talk influences. So um, think whether it's in Indiana or uh, later in Michigan. Who would you cite as influences? Who's kind of been influential in your learning curve, whether it's tying and or fly fishing? I'd, I'd be curious. You know, as as far as fly fishing goes, uh, in, influences definitely, I would say, is basic Orvis literature. You know, uh, I think one of the first fly tying books I came across was just an Orvis guide to fly fishing, uh, you know, kind of about age 12, 13, after I was starting to get into a little bit. Um, but going on from there, you know, moving up to Northern Michigan about the same age, that's about the same time that, uh, Kelly Gallup, uh, actually had to shop the Troutsman here in Traverse city. Mm. And I remember going into a shop with, with my dad actually, and, you know, looking at all the different flies. And I just remember being marveled looking at a mouse pattern and, uh, mainly what I had fished before, were, you know, your basic, you know, your Walmart flies, your, you know, your yellow spiders for panfish and bluegill. And I just remember asking you, is this trout will actually eat this? Oh, oh yeah, bass too. And, you know, I had fished bass. So I was like, wow, that, that's really cool. But so, you know, going in there was, was certainly influential for me as a kid. Mm. I can't think of a better place to go. Like, I just, I can't get enough of Kelly Gallup. <laughs> I love it. Yep. It just, uh, I find every time I watch one of his videos, I learn so much, you know, like whether it, just his tying videos and the style, his delivery is so kind of laid back and it's, I just enjoy learning from that guy. Think how many people he's influenced. Right. Mm. Right. And, you know, as, as I progressed in tying, um, and my influences really came from exploring Northern Michigan's fly tying history, um, uh, where I'm from the, the Boardman river watershed and just outside of where I live, uh, Mayfield is where the Adams fly originated. And so, you know, if you're going to tie an Adams fly in northern Michigan, you better learn to tie it right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Additionally, things like uh, Robert's Yellow Drake, which the uh, Robert's Yellow Drake uses a uh, deer hair body where the deer hair is actually run parallel with the shank. And just like we see on so many patterns for mayflies. In fact, um, Kelly even uses it on his uh, the, the found link fly. We call it the Robert's Wrap. And uh, that's a technique that carries over to all kinds of mayfly patterns. Hmm. So is that an extended body, like deer hair? No, it's actually, so it goes along the hook shank. And I don't know if you're familiar. And the, um, it's usually using deer hair or elk hair. And it flares out the back a little bit. And typically it's got a moose hair, moose hair protruding or a pheasant tail Mm -hmm. coming out of there. Sounds, uh, sounds buggy for sure. Um, yeah. we're going to get into your tying because I know you're tying up some really good patterns and, uh, we'll dig into that. First, I want to get, um, to know your day to day in and around Traverse city. Uh, you ready for a few questions here to, to get a feel for your area? Absolutely. Okay. So you're headed to your favorite stretch. What's playing in the truck on the stereo on the way there? Oh, geez. I'm, you know, I really enjoy exploring, um, kind of that, that crossover between rock blues and, and folk music. So whether it's a Coulter wall, uh, Allman brothers, it mm. could be, you know, Howlin' Wolf or buddy guy, kind of that, um, that bluesy rock yeah. with a little bit of country kicked in. Like it. 
one pattern that you just can't live without. So, and I know that obviously this is hatch dependent, weather dependent, and there's lots of factors in fly selection, but if you were stuck with one fly in that box, what, what would you be reaching for more often than not? You know, I feel kind of obligated to say the Adams, uh, just, you know, repping, repping the local pattern. And I do use it quite a bit, but I would have to say probably a uh, just a gold-ribbed hair's ear soft hackle. So hair's ear dubbing, copper, so copper rib, actually. I found I like a little bit more than gold and just a uh, partridge feather for the collar. It's funny you said that. I totally agree. I love copper wire. Um, sometimes the gold, I think the gold is, it's commercial, it's overdone sometimes I think, but that <laughs> copper, I agree with you, it's kind of more towards red, at least that's the way my kind of vision hits it, and I'm somewhat colorblind, I will admit, but I do really think that copper stands out a lot more. And you know what, I found the rivers I fish, at least, you know, northern Michigan, uh, going up into Ontario a little bit, as well as the Upper Peninsula, is because of the oak, because of the cedars and the tamaracks, our waters can be kind of tannic, so kind of that tea color, yeah, and slightly ruddy. And so having that copper, I think, looks a little less garish, so it's a little more natural looking, but provides just enough glint. Hmm. Where do you like to go to talk fly fishing? So let's say it's winter and you can't get your fix, you know, you're spending time at the vice. Is yep. it social media for you? Is it your local shop? Where do you get your fix when you're not fly fishing? Yeah, so I part of its local shop, the Northern Angler here in, in Traverse City, is a great independent fly shop. Uh, additionally, we've got a wonderful cigar bar and a fantastic cocktail bar here in Traverse City, Nolan's, where a lot of the founding members of our Trout Unlimited chapter hang out, or at least, at least did. And it's always kind of been a, a little bit of a fly fishing hub. But huh. Instagram, I think, has also really changed the, the fly tying game in the sense that you're connecting with fly tires from all over the world. And I've developed some great friendships on there. Yeah, yeah, amen to that. It's um, it's just such a good source of information, and it we talk about it a lot, but people are pretty sharing, right? Um, they'll they'll show you show you how to tie it. They'll shoot a video of it, or you can. Then the thing I like about Instagram too is people are approachable, especially in the fly fishing space. Like you could be, it could be one of your fly fishing heroes or it could be one of your tying heroes, but if you shoot them a message and have a question, like a legitimate, you know, question, I think nine times out of 10, they'll get back to you. Yeah. Great example of that. Uh, a couple months back, I reached out to a uh, Barry Ord Clark oh, actually, wow. and uh, he was great. Got right back to me and answered a question I had. And I was I was just surprised, you know, because sometimes Instagram, you know, if you're not a mutual follower, you kind of get sent off to that odd request. Yeah. And uh, yeah. he was a, he got right back to me. So that was pretty neat. That is cool. Uh, there's there's a fellow that knows how to tie. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Learned so much from him. Um, let's talk sports uh, now. So this could go a few ways. Um, are, are we into football? Are we into baseball? Where do you get your fix in the world of sports? And if so, who, who are you cheering for? You know, I, I'm not a huge sports guy. I spend a lot of time outdoors, uh, whether it's whether it's fishing or, or hunting or even during the winter, getting out and doing some hiking and things, or ice fishing even. Uh, but if I do, if, you know, if I'm sitting down in the bar, I, I prefer to watch the Red Wings. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, oh, they had a good run for a lot of years, and it's kind of been a little rebuilding lately right but uh, absolutely they'll get back they'll get back they always do if you had to look at your fly fishing to date Corey, 
why do you think you do this? Like, why do you think you spend so much time at the vice, so much time on the water? What does it bring into your world? You know, it certainly brings a, a, a sense of peace. And, you know, you talk to so many fly fishers and, and I think those, they say the same thing. But for me, even if I'm sitting down tying, you know, my, you know, 24th fly of the same pattern in one go, it's still enjoyable. It's still a challenge in the sense that you are trying to make it look right. And you're trying to make it, you know, if you've developed a pattern, you want it to look a certain way, you're trying to build that repetition. Additionally, it is the challenge of catching trout, at least for me, in the sense that I can go out on the same stretch two days in a row and have one pattern work great one day and the same pattern won't work at all the next. And it is, you know, you're constantly trying to outsmart, outsmart the trout, if you will. And it's humbling to know that they get the better of us a lot of the time. I, I agree with that because it, like if you're, I mean, we've all fished those private fisheries sometimes and it's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's just too mm-hmm. easy. And then we've been the other side of it where I'll give you an example. Uh, Corey, I was on a lake the other day that we always do pretty well on. It's early season. The water was only 50, but it was turning over and the lake stunk like it smelled and there was an algae kind of suspension i'd never printed a fish all day which is very unusual and this lake Mm -hmm. is like up to 100 feet deep but i think you know you hit it at the wrong time you hit it during turnover there were midges chronomids popping everywhere there was there was no shortage of food shrimp everywhere in the water but i i went okay uh I, there's going to be those days, right? Especially early season when you're chomping at the bit to get out there and it's like, okay, that here's your wake up call. Go back to the vice for a couple days. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <You know>? yep. <laughs> but yeah. So are you mostly doing uh, streams, rivers? Are you doing a little bit of still water or kind of all of the above? Yeah. So mainly streams and rivers, uh, at least where I'm at, there's not a ton of, of still water. Um, that being said with the depths, a lot of the times the still water fishing is, is better off if you're, you know, if you're trolling, um, and actually I've had a lot of fun, uh, playing with those old, um, main Wrangley style, Ranger style, uh, trolling flies, like the old Carrie Stevens stuff where they're, you know, they're 10 XL and, uh, just trolling them behind a canoe with a uh, little trolling motor on electric trolling motor on the back. Yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's kind of how I started in all this, uh, fun and games um so let's talk about um your jobs um now so i know you're tying you are tying i mean we'd say somewhat commercially somebody wants some patterns i'm sure they could reach out and you'd be happy i know you've been doing some guiding um what's your day job like what what do you do when you're not in the fly fishing headspace yeah so my day job actually uh i'm a technical and, and training manager for a uh major boiler manufacturer so everything from you know, your residential boiler all the way up to, you know, heating stadiums. And wow. uh, so if, if they've got a, um, if they're trying to learn a new product, so teaching engineers and contractors, or if they're trying to troubleshoot something that they just can't seem to get right, they they call me out. So I cover roughly about six states here in the U.S. And so being on the road gives me a, a lot of time to uh, listen to podcasts. Uh, but also, you know, in the evenings, if I'm in a hotel, it's not uncommon for me to take, you know, a few materials and a travel vice yeah that's kind of cool yep. little time on the road so are you living your best life now with you know combining the fly fishing the tie-in with your day job is that kind of your uh so far best to date kind of thing 
Yeah, so far, so far, so good. What's the worst job you've ever had that you're willing to talk Ooh. about? If you look back, you know, a few years to maybe when you're doing something a little different, um, is there anything you went, man, I can't believe I actually did that in my career? You know, a couple, a couple during the during the recession, I had some odd jobs. You know, right around two thousand eight, um, I actually loaded an unloaded uh, bakery flour. So you know, seventy five pound sacks up and down flights of stairs all day. That was uh, that was pretty miserable. So you'd end up covered in flour and and sore. Um, you know, s- stacking it on top. You know, not uncommon to you know load three four tons of flour in a day. Wow, um, by hand. By hand, over the shoulder. <laughs> oh, man. I thought you were going to tell me you were driving forklift, but that's... Cr- oh, man, that would be... No, no. So it was taking from the distribution truck into different bakeries. Right. Yep. Huh. All right. And then um, the, the worst one I had was actually, so I was working as a pipe fitter, and the we were demoing this, this tank. It was an old sewage tank, and we cut open the line, and thousands of cockroaches started pouring out. And that was, it was like a scene out of Indiana Jones. Well, that's like the thing of nightmares. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's a good thing you like your, your entomology. Right. I mean, so many cockroaches that, you know, you, you actually saw an albino one. And now you imagine the, wow. you know, the odds of seeing an albino animal, let alone an albino cockroach. <laughs> that's quite a story. I love it. Um, fill in the blank for me. When you're not fly fishing, what are you usually doing? Well, like I mentioned, I'm a, you know I'm pretty big into uh, in the off season is doing some hunting, you know, upland hunting, chasing grouse, um, you know, pheasants and the like. Duck hunting is always fun as well. Uh, my wife and I are big hi- hikers, kayaking, so we're tr- we, you know we're four season outdoor folks. Hmm. Yeah, and you got to be, don't you? In Michigan, isn't that kind of part of the package? You better like the, you find a way to like the cold weather too, right? Right. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you you know if you don't get out during the winter, you end up just um, tying flies, drinking beer, and all of a sudden your waders don't fit in the spring. <laughs> yeah, that's my problem. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Um, if you had to look at all the locations you've fished, whether it's in and around your hometown of Traverse City or if it's out and about, maybe back in Indiana, what what type of waters do you go, man, I want to go back there? Or something, like if you had to, and, and don't get too specific, we don't want to give away secret spots, but is there... Right. Um, water systems that you're like man that's that was just awesome yeah um let's see scenery wise i I got the opportunity to fly fish on the river river meg in ireland Hmm. and in the republic of ireland and that was absolutely gorgeous you know fly fishing with a you know 700 year old church and castle in, in the background there um but as far as getting out my favorite kind of stretches are are the stretches that it takes a hike to get to uh, stuff where you might not necessarily see another fisherman all day and you're not often, oftentimes how sure this is actually, how many times has actually gotten fished, but you know, being able to pull those, those real wild fish out of that spot. And that's one thing I do love chasing are, are the wild fish populations. Yeah. They, they just fight differently and they're challenging, right? Um, mm-hmm. well, and on the flip side of that, sometimes you're fishing for fish that haven't been caught before. So I think they, they really go for it, you know? That's true. Hmm. I love it. So we've got on the line tonight, and thanks for joining us, we've got Corey Golden, a.k.a. Streamside Scotch on Instagram. He's out of Traverse City, Michigan. Um, Avid Fly Tire uh, sells some patterns, definitely has done some guiding, uh, is into conservation, good friends, whiskey and black 
coffee. So <laughs> uh, I, I just love that. I, I read your, your bio there. I'm like, man, we can talk about all kinds of things. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so let's, I want to dig into your tying because I, I know that's something that you spend a lot of time doing. And um, tell us a little bit about your setup. I always like to find out your main tool, your vice. What kind of vice do you like to use? And kind of walk us through your tying setup. Especially if you're, are you sitting near your vice right now? Uh, yeah, I can. Give me, give me just a second. Yeah, sure. About three or four steps. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, you got a visual and you can see what's right. going on. So walk us through your tying setup there. What are we looking at? Yeah, so my tying setup, I use a um, Wolf Indiana. So Wolf Indiana is a company that out of the U.S. here that makes vices. And I use, I use their Atlas vice. It's got a rotary action to it, mm-hmm. which is certainly nice. Uh, one thing I actually got into here was uh, a gallows tool. And um, that's been actually a pretty neat in in tying um, paraloops or hackle stacker flies. Okay. That's been really nice in, in learning that technique. Um, scissors wise, you know, I've got everything from, you know, uh, Loon, Umqua to um, and uh, Anadromous Adventures. Or, I'm sorry, Anadromous Fly Company. Okay. And they're based out of Michigan as well. What about... Um, when you finish your flies, are you whip finishing with a whip finishing tool? Or are you using the hand? What What do you do there? You know, it kind of de- it depends on how the head is coming along. Oftentimes, if I'm doing something like a uh, elk hair caddis, mm-hmm. where it's got that part that's hanging over the eye of the hook a little bit, uh, I'm going to half pitch that. Um, whip finishing tool is nice if I'm production tying, so I'm tying you know large numbers. I'm whip finishing by hand. It's just one less step, one less tool to pick up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. How many, uh, normally, how many uh, whip finishes do you do to finish off the fly? Uh, typically about three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's funny how that varies with different tires. Um, yeah. And let's talk about the thread that you're using to whip finish and finish those flies. Um, is there a brand that you have a go-to? Like, are we talking, you know, UTC or Semperfly? Yeah, Uni ADOT Black. It's kind of my wow. go-to for most flies. Okay. Um, and, you know, Uni ADOT across the board has just been a, at least a pretty stand-up and widely available thread yeah. for me. Uh, so whether if I'm, you know, just having to stop by a generic sporting goods store, uh, in my travels to pick up some thread, you know, I've also been liking, um, the, uh, Vivas D D O one 10 up. Yeah. The Vivas thread. You certainly want to make sure you've got a sharp pair of scissors for it. It's some pretty tough stuff. Is that, how do you spell that with a V Vivas? Yep. V E E V U S. Okay. Okay. And that's fairly readily available in, in your neck of the woods, or do you have to bring that in to order online? Um, no, that's something I can pick up the local fly shops. Do you find yourself buying a lot of online materials just out of curiosity? You know, since COVID, um, sourcing materials has been a little bit more difficult in the sense of finding the the natural materials, uh, whether it is uh, finding, you know, something as simple as mallard wings. Um, you know, normally I source my own, but uh, started running out and, uh, you know, trying to find a pair of matched mallard wings right now is, isn't easy. Same with, hmm. you know, wood duck. Um there was another one that was really hard to come by for a little bit, and that was uh, turkey, turkey feathers. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I, I've noticed that too, and and because I do order a fair bit of stuff online, there is not a fly shop in my hometown. There's one just you know an hour north, which we 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 venture out to. But sometimes it's like, okay, I just want to put it in order, sit here, and really think about it. 
what I'm looking to do. And I've noticed that a lot. You'll go online, you'll order, it'll say unavailable, out of stock. Right. <laughs> There's been, I, that's something that I think the last two years, tires have been real super busy, right? I mean, we've had some time, a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you have, know, the other, go ahead. The other thing I think is, you know, supply chain issues as well with, yeah, I, you know, I, I know a lot of this stuff, you know, is, sourced overseas coming out of china or asia mm-hmm. particularly a lot with the you know your basic you know strong cock um that stuff is coming overseas and they're just not shipping it yeah there's uh there's definitely there's more than one aspect to reasons why things are running out hooks is one thing and i you know where i struggle sometimes is tungsten beads there would be certain colors or certain sizes like well just forget mm-hmm. about it that one that's been sold out for a while but um yeah, I think as suppliers, as companies in the space, I'm sure everyone's getting creative and, and ordering bigger stock. And and that kind of in turn, um, you know, cleans out the suppliers. It's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Right. But uh, t- tell us about the types of patterns that you are tying, Corey. So, like, what's your, do you have, like, a style that you would say you gravitate to, whether it's, like, wet hackles or you're doing a lot of dries, or are you just all over the board as far as patterns? You know, by and large, I'm, I'm relatively all over the board. I do stick to more um, traditional patterns. So if you want to call them, you know, the, the run-of-the-mill flies, uh, you know, I certainly produce a lot of, you know, Royal Coachman, um, you know, the Adams, the Mickey Finn, um, you know, all, all the all the uh, garden variety favorites there. Hmm. Uh, I do get into some hair-wing Atlantic salmon fly stuff, which actually worked pretty well for uh, Lake Run Rainbows here in northern Michigan. Hmm. Okay. Yep. One thing, you know, I got into a little bit were the articulated streamers. And it kind of got to the point where I I decided I couldn't tie everything and I couldn't stock everything as much as we'd love to. Um, and, you know, I, I got into fly tying initially with the uh, fallacy so many of us follow <laughs> is that I'm going to save money by tying fly on flies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as yeah. much as I can tolerate the additional expenses there, I think I just had to say, no, I you know what with with the gear I have with the threads I stock, yeah. I'm go, I'm going to stick to this style of tying. Well, and do you find if you're in a shop, let's say you're on the road traveling for day job, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. you go into a store and you're like, oh, I haven't seen this in this color. <laughs> it's like it's coming back with you, right? Absolutely, absolutely. What have you got hanging on the wall there that you're like, you know, I've never used this, but one day, one day I'm going to come up with a pattern. Oh, geez, that's a that's a good question. I I find uh, there, there's some chenilles over the years I picked up that I've never used, or um, a lot of these fab material and and some of these booby patterns now with the um, you know the kind of crystal chenille looking stuff. And there's just let's face it, like 20 years ago, we didn't have options when it came to materials. It was you know it was peacock curl and it was your standard chenille colors, and now it's like mm-hmm. everything's UV, everything's um, you know, there's there's so many different materials, and the artificial scene has really taken off. You know, it, it really has. Uh, it, speaking of artificial, one thing I'll say this is a uh, Swiss straw, right? And mm. um, so, it's if you're not familiar with Swiss straw, it's almost like you take a a plastic grocery bag and you cut it into strips. And it's a little bit tougher than that. And I, I've tried to use it for winging material. And I just prefer the natural, but I'm yep. still convinced there's a good use for it. I'm with you. I have Swiss straw and I, and some patterns call for it. And I, mm-hmm. I'm the same way. I don't love working with it either. Sometimes it gets a little brittle, but yep. 
it expands. I, I never realized actually how wide that will go. And I always tend to cut off too much if I'm trying to put a thorax on it and kind of a, mm-hmm. in like a halfback or a fullback kind of style. Yeah, I feel that. I, um, on the other hand, what is it you're using all the time other than, other than your black ADOT? <laughs> um, you know, I use, I use quite a bit of, um, grizzly hen wings. So, um, so just some basic, nice round tip, uh, hen saddle, hen neck for, you know, just wings on different dry flies, even dry flies that don't necessarily call for it. I like to tie a variation just because I think they show up so well. Mm. Um, additionally, the other thing I go through a lot of is squirrel tail. Right. Yeah. That's something that I don't have enough of. And I know I like the look of it. Um, I'll use rabbit on occasion, but there's something about squirrel tail that um, looks great in the water. Yep. It, it, go, it goes back to, you know, when I was a childhood doing regular fishing, you know, buying a MEPS lure and seeing on the back that, hey, they would pay you a nickel for every squirrel tail you sent in. And um, I considered I was going to get myself fishing rich <laughs> by sending in squirrel tails. <laughs> Right. I'm still, I'm, I'm thinking as, as material shortages go, that's going to be my retirement plan. <laughs> well, it's good. It's good to have a plan for sure. <laughs> so in, in, in your world of fly tying, how do you feel about realistic versus suggestive patterns? Is there a style in your mind that's more effective? You know, I guess that's it. So in my world, I'll say this is suggestive is a lot more forgiving than realistic. If you're going to be realistic, you better be dead on. Hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've been out West fishing some tailwaters where you swear that the fish can count the number of legs that are supposed to be on your fly. And they only want one that has, you know, a third leg that's, that's crippled on the left side. And so like I said, if you're going to be realistic, you better be right on versus I think suggestive is a lot more forgiving in the sense that one, it's forgiving for the tire. Um, two is you can get away, you know, if you're, if you're fishing, imitating multiple species, you're, you're going to have a little bit easier time fishing in my opinion, changing flies less. Yeah. Fair. I think you're covering a wider range, right? There's, Mm -hmm. There's more interpretation. There's something when I look at the most effective patterns on the planet i can't help but think that it's it's rare like like think of a hare's ear for instance what is it well it could be a mayfly it could be a chronomid could, could be a lot of different things right mm-hmm. um but i think when we get down and we we try to do something exactly like some of these amazing tires on some of the covers of magazines i go that's amazing but i don't think i'd fish it does, right do you ever feel that with some fly patterns Absolutely. And, you know, that's that's where I come across, you know, there are some ultra realistic flies out there that I look at and just say, wow. Yeah. But I, I do wonder how how effective it would be. And, you know, the, the adage that's been going around for quite a few years now is, you know, some flies catch fish, some catch fishermen. Right. And I, I find myself saying, oh, yeah, I want a dozen of those in my box. And then I look at them and say, boy, those are really nice and really expensive. I don't know if I want to fish those. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do. I, and I do it all the time on my bench. We'll get the exact number of ribs and we'll have double ribs. And, you know, the mm-hmm. segmentation's there. You're like, but then it's like, I just go back to the standard pattern half the time that I know works. Um, but uh, I don't know what it is. We're always looking for the holy grail of patterns, I guess. And um, that's what keeps us coming back, I guess. 
but you know, isn't that isn't that the crux of, of what we do as as fly tying? As as a mentor once once told me, you know, what we do is is a compromise to nature, and mm. always trying to find a better compromise. Yeah, if if you will, that's a good quote. I like that. Is there any patterns? in your mind that you will buy before you tie. I always like to ask tires that because there's certain patterns that you may find easier to tie than others, some more difficult, but is there something you go, no, I'm not, I'm just going to buy these. So I'll say this. When I tie a muddler minnow, I like my own muddlers better than what I can usually buy. Hmm. That being said, I prefer to buy them because I hate the mess that spinning deer hair makes. It just, it gets everywhere, you know, as you're trimming it down and it gets shorter, it gets between the fingers. Yeah. And then particularly with a muddler, you go to all the work of dressing the fly. And when it comes time to trim the head, if you get a bad trim or you trim too close or the thread breaks, you got to start all over. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're talking to somebody that, because I, I know a lot of people that fly fish that don't necessarily tie yet. And let's say you're talking to somebody that's, been fly fishing for a while, but says, hey, you know what? It's time I finally, you know, get a vice, sit at the bench and, and, and figure this thing out. Is there a single or a couple pieces of advice you could give them to either encourage them or to kind of help them in maybe some of their selections or the thought process of kind of getting going? Yeah, certainly. One, I always tell folks whenever they buy a, you know, a basic fly tying kit, upgrade your scissors. Upgrade mm. your scissors and upgrade your bobbin to something that either has, a, you know, a flared or rolled flared uh, opening on it or, you know, a ceramic opening. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, the, the generic ones you get out of the box, oftentimes it's just, you know, slightly sanded metal. And you'll be breaking thread all the time. Yeah. Same with same with scissors. Upgrade your scissors. Mm. Um, after that, when it comes to patterns, I say, you know, focus on relatively simple half dozen patterns, whether you're going to learn an elk hair caddis, uh, a woolly bugger, a woolly worm, um, you know, things that relative. So whether you use, um, pardon me, they're a little tongue tied, whether it's using the same techniques. So if you're using elk hair caddis, you're doing a woolly bugger, you're doing a woolly worm, you're learning palmering, right? Mm -hmm. But also you're learning, you know, by, by varying it a little bit, you're learning to go ahead and use elk hair. You're learning how to go ahead and uh, counter wrap the wire with the hackles. Right. Things like that. Yeah. And uh, you know, something that really helped me the last few years, cause I mean, I've been doing it a long time, but I find I do get stagnant cause I, I, I there's only certain patterns I normally fish. So I kind of stick within my wheelhouse, but what really helped me was getting outside my comfort zone and trying some of these flies that I may or may never use, but it's the techniques that you kind of put in your arsenal, if that makes sense. Absolutely. You know, this past year, I was sent a book from a um, fly tying counterpart of mine in the UK, and he sent me Oliver Edwards, uh, a fly tying masterclass. And to it, you know, as, and he referred to it as the, the madness of Oliver Edwards. Hmm. And there are some really great patterns in there that would, would challenge most tires um, in the sense of you're using materials, um, you know, non-conventionally or, you know, trying to learn a different technique and trying to make it look just right. And then of course you're doing enough that you want to make it repeatable and look right. Yeah. Well, getting I, outside the, our comfort zone, I think is key to, to being good, well-rounded tires. Yeah. I think that's well said. I like it. Um, 
Well, let's keep talking time. I love talking time. So, um, what are you working on these days? Is there certain patterns that have kind of caught your imagination um, that maybe you're seeing on Instagram and you're like, I I need to venture into that space? Are there any new patterns you've been working on lately? You know, I, I will say this one pattern, not so much new, but one pattern that's captured me probably since I first started fly tying is the blue charm. And always trying to tie a better blue charm and I, you know, trying to chase that perfection like we talked about. Mm. Um, but when it comes to new patterns, I've been really trying to learn the, the paraloop or the hackle stacker, um, technique better. That's one thing that, you know, I like to take older patterns and try and ad- ad- adapt it to them, whether it's, I, I take that, uh, that hackle loop and, and bring it up between a set of wings mm. on a, on a Royal Wolf and to see how that goes. Uh, see, you know, see how it floats, how it lays, things like that. Just, I, that's one thing I like to do is take new techniques and, and apply it to older style flies. How important in your mind is, um, applying like rules of thirds or applying, you know, w- where I think a lot of tires struggle. And I know m- at least myself over the years is getting the proportions, right? You, you may know exactly what you're doing. You may know exactly how to tie, but being consistent in those proportions. Absolutely. And to, to know a pattern and to know a pattern in a particular size well, um, you know, I'll tie an ad, I'll tie a size 14 atoms, you know, I'll tie, I don't know, maybe six dozen of them every year. That's just because one, you know, I like to fish a lot and, you know, I send a lot of them out. I can tell I can, you know, go ahead and, and tell you the proportions are right or wrong just by looking at someone's rendition of it. And, you know, the proportions so well that, you, you know, you know that it should be half the length of your thumbnail. Yeah. Uh, when you're tying in a particular size, but I learned proportions through actually a fly tying kind of, um, challenge I took and through the, the fly dressers guild, it's an international group based out of the UK and they send you a fly tying curriculum. And part of it is learning the proportions. So you learn, you know, six, seven different patterns and you tie them over and over. And finally you take your best three. And you send them off to be judged, three of each of the patterns. Hmm. So you're, you're proving that repetition in there. And, you know, they'll take them apart. They're looking for technique. They are looking for style of construction as well as repeatable proportion. And I think throughout my evolution of fly tying and how I've grown, that's really become key to me. And, you know, constantly looking back at that chart. One thing I think I struggled with a little bit was I found that I really like to tie my dry flies on two XL shanks. Right. Right. So how do I adapt proportions to a two XL shank, though it might be, you know, a size 14 hook gap, you know, yeah. how do I make the wings look proportionate, but not so long that they look disproportionate against the hackle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny like you'll look at a fly and you'll know some if even if it's yours not yours you'll know if something's off the tail's too long the wing's too tall the hackle's too mm-hmm. big or too small and it makes all the difference in the world being consistent that's one thing i continually try to work on it's not my strength i'll be honest and uh sometimes i'll hit it bang on but sometimes i'll be out and i'll be like shoot why is that wing that tall right yeah that's interesting. I actually, that, that, what were you talking about? So kind of like a tires guild in. in yeah. The, the fly dressers guild. Fly dressers what it's called. guild. That's yep. a, that and, sounds serious. Know, right. <laughs> and they, uh, you know, they have international contingents. So they partnered me up with, um, a couple of different mentors in the UK and they walk, you know, they've got 
bronze, you know, the bronze award level and silver award level and, and gold mm-hmm. award level where the, the flies get progressively harder and, you know, you're judged more harshly on your submission and, but it's, it's very rewarding. Yeah. That sounds cool. So do you enter any fly tying competitions? So like whether it's fly tire mag or any of these competitions that come up, you know, in, in the past I have, mm-hmm. um, and then it kind of gotten to the point where some of the time, the time of year they were taking place, I know they give you several months, but when I was, um, commercially tying, it just got to the point where I decided I just didn't have time for it anymore. And it's not something I'll, I'll rule out, but um, doing the Fly Dressers Guild, the gold, silver, and, and bronze medals there, that it took up a lot of time and it was challenging. I'd like to get back to it, but it is a commitment. Yeah, yeah, fair. So um, I, I want to take some time to get to know your dream day. So if you had your perfect day out on the water, I assume mm-hmm. it's, patterns that you've tied over the years uh you're reaching in your fly box <clears throat> excuse me i just had some feedback here one sec <clears throat> i don't know what happened there so you're you, you know paint us a picture of your perfect day what does it look like is there a little whiskey at the end of the day what kind of flies are you throwing what kind of rivers what kind of waters are you fishing yeah it is it it starts i tell you it starts at sunrise with uh coffee off a percolator off a percolator off an old coleman stove oh, old school um yep so that, that'll that'll start it and then uh probably you know a little bit of beef jerky to go with that and then it's it's getting out on the getting out <laughs> on the water as you know just the first caddises are starting to bounce um smaller water upstream fishing with a with a three weight uh to rising fish i think is <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's kind of, it, at least I would, I would consider that the Carnegie Hall of, of fly fishing. My heartburn factor went up a little bit when you said percolator followed by the beef jerky. I got the whiskey in the back of my mind for the end of the day. So <laughs> there may or may not be some antacids. Well, but, but you know what? It was, it's always the, uh, the, the whiskey doesn't start until the first fish has been caught. So, I mean, if that's 15 <laughs> minutes into fishing or, you know, I'm, I'm going home without a drink. That's, you know, that's a little superstitious, but I talk to a lot of people that do that. They will not crack a beer or whatever they're happen to be sipping on until they land their first fish. I got a buddy that religiously does that. I love it. So, so you're fishing, you're throwing some dries. Um, what kind of patterns you throwing? Are these deer hair or the elk hair caddis? You know, elk hair caddis is always good. Obviously, you know, I love the Adams. I love a, uh, fan wing coachman. Um, I, you know, to me, I don't think the, you know, dry flies could get any more beautiful. Um, it, you know, maybe the afternoon is, as it, as it's getting a little hot, I'll throw some, uh, classic wet flies down. Hmm. Love it. Yeah. That's uh, so uh, do you have to go very far for this dream trip or is it kind of in your wheelhouse? No, it, it's a wheelhouse. There's, there's a couple streams that, uh, I make this little dream trip happen a few times a year. <laughs> that sounds good. Right on. Is there anything about fly fishing that kind of makes you go, man, we need to do a little better job at this? Or, um, you know, what's, what's your kind of, if you had to uh, look at the state of affairs when it comes to fly fishing? Because there's a lot of people in this space now, a lot more than there was 10 years ago. Um, is there anything Absolutely. we need to work on, in your opinion? Yeah, so um, it kind of goes both ways. Stream etiquette is, I think, those who are who are, you know, new to the sport, Maybe we could do a little bit better job of, of teaching stream etiquette while, while those of us who are seasoned uh, can be a little bit more forgiving, I think. Hmm. That is really well put. I like that. It's a two-way street, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. The other thing, I guess, that, that worries me a little bit, at least from the fly tying point of view and, and a conservationist point of view, is I do worry about with as we build more flies with synthetic materials, mm-hmm. is it, fishermen lose flies. And, and to a degree, you know, I'll do river cleanups and things where, yeah, you know, I've, I've pulled some, you know, game changers off of logs when we're, you know, when we're doing floats, you know, that they're expensive fly to lose, but also it is, it is a plastic. It doesn't biodegrade. Hmm. Yeah. That's, I never really thought about that. <laughs> you're, you're right. right. It's a little, a little different when you're dealing with fur and feathers. It, it actually does break down. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Man, you've, you've hit some good stops today. I'll tell you, I like it. Um, it's always well, nice. It amazes me how I can get so many different perspectives on the same thing. Yep. Hmm. Okay. So, um, is there anything we haven't covered that we need to know about your day-to-day time or like, I mean, if somebody wants to pick up some patterns off you, are you up for that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm all, I'm very much for doing custom work, you know, as well as, as run the mill stuff. I mean, that's kind of how I, I don't want to say built my reputation locally, but that's how I started getting work from the local fly shops was I would do those patterns that you wouldn't necessarily find commercially, Hmm. uh, at least so much in the Midwest, whether it is, um, you know, tying the full dress, Carrie Stevens style, uh, tying, you know, the black ghosts. Uh, A lot of guys would come to me and say, Hey, this was a fly. My uncle tied. Uh, I've got one of them left. seems to work really well. Can you replicate it? And that's that's kind of how I carved my niche. As somebody that does this for fun, but also um, as more than I'd say more than a hobby, you know, if you're selling any any patterns commercially, how do you manage to keep the stoke? Because that I think a lot of people I know struggle with that. It's like you know when I'm doing it for me, I'm spending time at the vice, and it's uh, you know I'm planning for that next trip. But all of a sudden, you're tying something for Joe in Cincinnati. Um, how do you keep the, you know, the, the stoke for all things tying? Yeah. So that's, that was a balance. I, I kind of had to learn the hard way in the sense that I was tying so much, you know, come June is, Oh, I didn't have my own fly box. And, you know, the guys at the local fly shop were, were hassling me a little bit because I had to go buy flies. <laughs> you know, that's not something that you ever want to have to do, uh, you know, just basic stuff to put in my box. So one thing I learned was it's OK to say no, because to a degree, fly tying is is an artistic expression. And growing up, my mom, my mom still is well and was an artist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's one thing I learned from her is it's OK to say no to protect, you know, the integrity of what you're doing. One, I, you know, I don't ever want to send a bad fly off my vice. Uh, if, if a fly falls apart, uh, I feel bad about it. Granted, I know what happens and fish tear them up, but if it falls apart prematurely, you know, there's been times where I've sent replacement flies. Hmm. So if I can't, if I can't do a fly justice, if I'm replicating the pattern or if I just don't have the time, I, I will say no. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good tip for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I could see what you mean by that, if so, especially if you, you're tying something that's maybe not in your wheelhouse, and if you're not 100% comfortable, you want that client to be happy with what, you know, your uh, the pattern that you're presenting, I'm sure. Right. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, that, well, 
That's good integrity. <laughs> I like it. I mean, we've all been there. I've sometimes, you know, I may have uh, maybe not put a a gloss or a UV coat or resin or a finish on a fly, and same thing falls apart. And you're like, oh shoot, why yep. did I do that? I know better than to do that. But or you know, it could be as simple as, hey, you know, this this batch of hackle just, you know, this cape just isn't performing like I want it to. You want it this particular color. Yeah. You know, yeah. either give me some more time or, you know, I'm going to have to go ahead and not do your order because the last thing I want is, is to put, you know, put a lot of effort into a fly and not have, you know, the client be happy with it. When does your season start? I assume it's a little, you know, a little shorter season than, than, than some areas. Have you been out yet this year? Yeah. So, um, Michigan trout season, uh, what we call, you know, general trout season actually just kicked off on April 30th. So, uh, went out and casted my first fly. Now we've got, you know, uh, Lake run, you know, managed salmon populations as well as Lake, Lake run rainbows, you know, in the Midwest, we call them steelhead. I know for those on the West coast, no salt, no steel. So uh, we'll put that in air quotes, steelhead. Um, you know, and you can really fish those in from the fall through the winter and, you know, even into the spring. Um, so I know a lot of guys who, who fish steelhead personally, I think it's a really cold way to, uh, to spend your winter. <laughs> yeah. There's something about steelhead. Love it when you don't want to be out there. It seems. Absolutely. Now yeah. it is, it is rewarding, you know, and, and, but it's not really my cup of tea. Well, and I tell you what, I have, um, talked with some guides in the Great Lakes systems that, and, and some of the steelhead that I've seen, I mean, <laughs> They're, they're beasts, and some of them are just unbelievably. There was one one river in particular. I want to say it was the Maitland in Ontario, but um, just the stock that they had in there, man, those things look wild. Yeah, I, I probably go steelhead fishing about half a dozen times a year. Yeah, and um, you know when you hook into them, be ready, hang on. How do we follow you um, on Instagram? Where do we find you to keep up with your you know your tying and your and your fishing? Yeah, search me on Instagram at Streamside Scotch. Love it. Hey, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work at the Vice, and and let's uh, let's revisit this, and uh, maybe after the season, then you can tell us some stories. Hey, sounds great. Thank you again for uh, the opportunity to chat with you. We've been chatting today with Corey Golden out of Traverse City, Michigan, Streamside Scotch on Instagram. Check him out. Rivers Conservation, good friends, whiskey and black coffee. Thanks for joining us this time around. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Thank you.